East Coast love. That's what's going down for you on the next episode of Let's Talk Dubs. Welcome back, everybody. And we got another jam-packed episode for you today. I hope you gearheads are out there because we got something good for you. This time from the East Coast, not a dude named Bob. So we listened to Bob Cook with Cookers. We had him on one of the first guests on the podcast from the East Coast. We talked to Bob Daniels, but today we break the mold. We go with a dude named Kurt. You might know Kurt Metzger. For those of you that have been in the scene for a while, back in 2001, the cover of VW Trans April Edition had his baby blue 68 street legal 10 second bug. That's right. Back in 2001, Kurt was doing it big time back then before... The Duran Kafer Cup and all this other stuff, he was out there doing big numbers on a streetcar. So good episode. Some of that East Coast love. I get Kurt on here. We talk about motors, uh, his secret to building engines, what his philosophies are between heads and cams and crankshafts and engine cases. We get into in-depth conversation about building motors and all the stuff that goes together with it. And we get to hear his VW story as well. So buckle up. Sit down and get ready for a little bit longer than a 10-second podcast today. Sometimes you guys know that getting these guys on the podcast takes a little bit of work, especially with their busy schedules and whatnot. And sometimes these guys are so busy with their VW activities, I got to catch them when I can. So in this particular podcast, I got to catch Kurt and his wife, Ann, on their way up north to Massachusetts or Maine, somewhere like that. But they were on the road for a few hours. So if you listen carefully, you'll hear Ann for a little bit and you might hear some winter wipers. So time to get down with it. With some East Coast love. Kurt Metzger on Let's Talk Dubs. On today's podcast, I've got Kurt Metzger. He's one of the East Coast uh, VW engine builders, and he owns a company called Vintage Performance. They're out of Clayton, Delaware. You may be familiar with a lot of his vehicles that we'll go over into detail as we go through the podcast. One of the ones most memorable was the cover car for VW Trans that was a 10-second turboed street car, and we'll get into that later on the podcast. But uh, I'd like to welcome Kurt to the podcast. Kurt, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Uh, I know you've listened to the podcast a few episodes before, and normally how we get all this kicked off is... Uh, ultimately you being an engine builder and all this stuff started somewhere and it started with you being a VW guy. And so what is your VW story? Well, um, I came home from the hospital in, a, in my mom's 62 actually. And, uh, after that, my, uh, my dad had a friend who owned a dealership and he was always messing around with this or that. And actually he did the Reading Hill Climb race as well. Um, but he, he had cut up a few beetles when they got older and, you know, did various things. And the one thing for me was he had uh, a Justin supercharger on one that was basically just a chassis with a rollover bar. And he was lighting off the tires in the driveway, and that was pretty much uh, pretty much what got me started. Nice. So what was the first Volkswagen that you owned that you Personally, started working um, I had a, my first car was, um, a 72 that I bought and built a dune buggy out of when I was, uh, geez, maybe in ninth grade. Uh-huh. Um, obviously I didn't have a driver's license yet, so it was just an off-road buggy and I had that for years. Um, and then I had a 71 in high school that I made into a Baja bug 
we had 20 or 30 other cars before the 68 came around. And then how, how did you get into to, to building motors? Well, my dad actually um, still has the machine shop, which was not an automotive machine shop, but he did fly cut heads and make a special fly cutter for a local VW shop uh, probably when I was, I don't know, 10, 12 years old. And uh, he would always fly cut the heads for the guy. The guy would bring over like 25 or 40 heads at a time. And we just, well, we, I guess I got to fly cut them, um, yeah. you know, to resurface them. Not not for performance or anything. The guy didn't do a whole lot of that. It was more just, you know, rebuilding motors for people. So that was my start. And then uh, I guess my first first stroker motor I built when I was 23, and I'm 50 now, um, that motor's still around. Friend, it got passed from one friend to another. Um, and then uh, I just uh, started, you know, you start at one point. Every, I think everybody built a 1641 at one point, And then, you know, when that wasn't enough, you just kept going up and up the ladder. And having all the tools at my dad's machine shop, there's really not much I can't do as far as anything so to speak and like i said it wasn't an automotive shop machine shop but uh you know it uh it just went from there and then uh kept going until you know the end result there was the 68 and so i mean once you started building motors for your friends or people that you knew stuff like that did you kind of become the neighborhood engine builder um yes and no there were several in the area um but my thing was uh, was always street cars. It wasn't so much the racing end of it. I, I was more of a street car guy. Um, I figured if you had to tow it, it you know, should be a boat or something. Um, right. But uh, I just always wanted a fast street car, and I concentrated on that. And, and it's still going today. I mean, it's obviously not quite what it used to be, but it's still going today. And... Uh, I just prefer doing the streetcar thing over the race cars, and I don't really look into getting into the race motors because that's just that's a whole other venue, and uh, I uh, I just prefer the street things. So, the primarily the motors you build, you focus on reliability and you know bulletproofing them that way, and then if you can make them fast as well, that's even better. Is that pretty much your mo? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have a fast street car than a really fast race car that you're, you know, constantly working on. I mean, you look, I, I think I, with my 68, but before the magazine and all that stuff, I mean, I think I went through probably everybody's rockers and, and you know, you name it, parts. I, I found out what broke when and what would hold up. You and know, who did so, you... When you started building motors, like who did you look like? Who was your inspiration in regards to engine builders? Were there any people out there, or that that were engine builders that you would take you would take information you would get from them? I mean, what was your greatest source of information? I mean, this, we're talking this is probably early before the internet and all this stuff, right? Um, no, not really. It wasn't so much before that. I mean, a little bit. I guess a little bit before that, but I, I would say the, the few people that probably really 
helped me out in the beginning was uh, DeMello Machine, which was Bob, because I bought my first crank from him in 1986. And then uh, as far as camshafts, it would be webcam, which I still use today. And then heads would be Fred Sensa. Um, he's probably, you know, still, I, I would have to say, one of the best ones out there. So Fred was the guy in regards to... Yeah, I, uh, I, I would say so, because... I, I always had the attitude of why not rather than, you know, sit there and say, well, you can't do that. I mean, I even had my turbo guy, when I specced out my turbo for the 68, told me I would never get that turbo to spool up. And I had a few choice words and then told him to build it. So, um, which we were on a pretty good rapport. So, you know, I could pretty much say anything to him. But uh, he did, and, and it worked. And... Um, you know, part of that's, of course, Fred with the heads. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think I had some crazy wild cam in the, in the 68. That's actually not the case. I had an off-the-shelf cam in that bar. And everybody yeah. uh, always thinks it's something crazy. And, and the reality of it, um, it, it usually doesn't need to be. And the best motors aren't running something ridiculous like a lot of people think, you know. Um well, I think that started back back in the late 80s. A lot of the guys were starting to run the FK87s, the FK89s, and some of the turbo cars. Right. But And a lot of people take the stuff that happens on the drag strip and try to bring it on the street, realizing yep. you know, when you're driving that thing longer than a quarter mile, it may, it may get annoying where you have a, a top-end power band like that, you know, with one of those cams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is um, it's not – it's not um, – where was I going with this? You don't necessarily have to go crazy with everything um, or super exotic. The, the, the real point to that is if you build a good aspirated motor, whatever it may mm-hmm. be, think of your turbocharger as an amplifier for your car stereo. It's just going to take what you already have and make it that much better. So if you have a good aspirated motor, and obviously you're going to change the compression ratio if you're boosting it or whatever, but you're going to end up with a decent turbo motor, too. Uh, there's a lot of guys that I see running all kinds of nutso cams, and they're really not gaining anything, so to speak, over, you know, if you just went with something a little more normal. Now, the first, what, what was the first turbo motor that you built? Uh, it would be mine. So the yeah. car, the one in the in your '68 was the was your first turbo motor you built. Yes, there was a couple versions of it uh, before the final one, but yes. Yeah. And what made you what made you decide to go turbo with that car? Well, I blew it up, and he was pissed off, and that was his way of fixing it. Yeah, she. It, it used to be her car actually, and after she blew up the third motor because she didn't listen, I made her build the fourth one, and. Uh, and then I think she broke that one too. I forget, but she, she was always the impression is when the lights came on to drive faster, so that you know you get to where you got to go. What is what he owes all his skills building these like extremely reliable motors and bulletproof things. That that me, I did that for him because I blew them up constantly, and he would have to keep making it better and better and better to be able to go through me. So you were, you were the R and D development side of that relationship. Uh, where you, 
<laughs> and so our listeners know. Give us, give us, a, who's our guest on there, Kurt? Go ahead. That, that would be my wife, Ann. And she's been there by your side, trying to break these motors as you've built them to prove the reliability. Is that what her purpose is? Well, been? we've. Uh, well, my purpose was just to drive the car. So that so that was the reason that you decided to go turbo. What was that motor? Did you run that car at the track before you turboed it? Uh, actually, what I did first is I tried one of the Dick Mini superchargers, and that just was not even close to being enough. Figured um, I'd give it a shot because they were neat and they're not made anymore. Um, but just wasn't what I was looking for, and then went turbo, and that that was the end of that. So. Um, Always the issue with those Dick Landy superchargers is they were just so gigantic and trying to fit them in a car was just not going to happen. You know? Oh, well, no, you just don't run a deck. I mean, actually, the problem with the superchargers was that it was actually too small to feed the Volkswagen motor to make enough power. Uh, but much, by physical how, size, yeah, you're not shutting the deck with and how much boost did, were those things pushing, the, the, the Dick Landy uh, superchargers? I think I was only running maybe 10 or 11 pounds of boost. Um, it wasn't a whole lot. Um, it might have even been less than that. But, um, you know, with a turbo car on the same boost level, you're definitely going to run faster. So um, that was just kind of the end of that. And, and since then, I've done, you know, quite a few turbo motors. Um for other people, and uh, I'm actually putting together a driver turbo motor for myself right now, but like an actual driver, not not necessarily just to go out and be as fast as it can be. Not a not a 10 second street car motor. No, no, um, no, not at all. Actually, uh, probably more like a low 12, high 11 second motor. But I, I want to keep it pump gas and and not. Uh, not go nuts with it. Just, just, uh, just build something that's that's a true driver, not something you can run around. You know, a ten second car, and, and you're tired of sitting in it after a half hour. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so, what? So, since you're building the motor, this this goes right into my next question. So, what is your engine of choice for the street? Like, you're building your street car. Let's hear the I'll, breakdown of this I'll motor. Tell you what, I've done a bunch of them, and my first one I did back in oh. Jeez, what do we do? Colts motor, oh one, oh two, maybe. Um, actually, twenty one seventy six for a guy in two thousand one. He had a speedster, and we delivered the car. And because it was a vintage and not an inner mechanica, there's like I'm six three, so the leg room's kind of an issue. Yeah. And I actually had in because she's exactly a foot shorter than me. Uh, drive the car to Virginia. I followed her down. 
she drove it most of the way to Virginia uh, to live, deliver the car to the guy. And since then, that car has been upgraded to the same size motor, which is 2176, but turbocharged and injected with Big Stuff 3. And that puts down about 240 to the wheels all pump gas. And it's, like I said, it's not it's not cranked up all the way. It's fairly reasonable boost for, you know, being on the street. And that's two, 240 horsepower to the wheels? Yes. And that's a yes. 21. Now, what makes you pick a 2176? Um, it's a 78 by 94, or 78.4, I guess, by 94. And that's actually, I've done a bunch of them since 2001. And it's actually one of my favorite combinations for the street, whether it's aspirated or turbocharged. Uh, Bob Daniels has one right now. Um, and uh, John Finnerty's car has one. That one's turbocharged and it also injected with Big Stuff 3. It's just a really nice combination without going crazy big on the motor. And um, the width of it, depending on the rods, of course, but it's usually only maybe an eighth of an inch wider than a 1600, which also makes it a nice package to fit in almost any car. Yeah, so so the width of the motor is part of the deciding factor in that. Does rod angle, like the the stroke with rod angle, have anything to do with that? Have you ever seen any long term negative effects for large um, stroke motors? Well, I mean, if you go with a really big stroke, obviously you don't want to run a stock length rod because because it just gets a little more complicated and it is harder on the on the parts. Uh, mm -hmm. But every motor, depending on its application, would be built with a certain rod length depending on what they're going to use it for. And I have some that, you know, I kind of have a standard setup for this, that, or whatever, depending on what they're going to do with it. And then and then also with camshafts with webcam, I actually have the master list. So I don't run, necessarily run what you would look up in the magazine or, or I'm sorry, the catalog and see their VW grinds. I actually have quite a few other grinds that are not listed Um in the catalog, one of them is actually in Bob Daniels' car and, and the Turbo Speedster uh, that work very, very well and make a really nice driver and a very broad power band. Now, what do you think is, uh, in regards to picking your camshaft, I mean, obviously, the turbo's, the turbo's just a big, giant compressor pumping air into the motor, get, yep. getting you to get more boost, but essentially... We we all know, I think, in the VW scene, your big component for power is going to be heads and yep. camshaft. Yep. Um, what do you think is some of the biggest mistakes that you see people doing that they're kind of missing the mark and it's like it's right here on your face? Why are you guys going this way oh, or that way? Overcamming the motor. That's the biggest mistake. Too much lift? Too much lift, too much duration. I mean, lift, I mean, if you want to keep it reliable, stay under 550. Um, but most people have a tendency, every, you know, a lot of people just think an FK989 is the answer for everything. Um, yeah. but the biggest mistake is people overcam, overcarburate their motors, and then, you know, it only runs on the top end. And that, that, that's fine if it's a race car, but most people that I build the cars for, I build the motor to tailor it around what they want or what they're mm -hmm. going to do with it. And if it's not, fun and enjoyable to drive, then most people don't end up happy with it. Um, mm -hmm. I did a bus motor for somebody 
1904, and we literally sat down and thought about that motor and the combination and specking it out, and he unfortunately sold it with 98,000 miles on it, and it had never been apart, and I, I, I asked, I said, why didn't you drive it two more thousand miles before you sold it, because then I could say I built a 100,000-mile stroker motor. Um, sure. But it, it got him 23 miles a gallon in a bus, and 21 towing his, or 20, I'm sorry, towing his little trailer behind, oh, really? behind the bus. Um, and uphills and everything else, it, it pretty much walked, um, you know, the type four motors that his buddies had in their buses. But again, it was, it was a little bit of a built motor, but it was built to pull. Um, so was this, in a, this was in a bay window, the 1904? It was in a split and a bay window. He had it in two different buses. Um, I think it was the bay window first and then a split later, and then he ended up selling that uh, when the motor had 98,000 on it. Yeah. So, so, on, so let's keep talking about the your, your ideal motor breakdown of the 2176. Um, uh-huh. So we talked about, we talked about the born stroke, and then we're talking about uh, the cams. Like what? What's your, in your opinion, if you're building a torque street motor that you want to turbo, something that's drivable but yet will surprise the average guy in, you know, a brand new car that tries to jump bad with you at the light. What what kind well, of well, well, that's are you looking for? that that's a loaded question because today, with the LS motors out there, um, that's getting harder to do. Right. Uh, back 20 years ago when I had my car, I mean, I could roll up on a, on a 911 turbo on the roll. I could roll up on a big block Camaro on the roll and I could, I could walk them. Um, today, you know, the new normal for these LS guys that buy a car and play with it a little bit, 800 horsepower and up. So yeah. it, it's getting a little harder to do that because, you know, there's, even if you have a 300 horse turbo motor, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be fighting hard. You know, I mean, look, look at your standard ZF6 Corvette today. I mean, tires in a tune, you're, you're in the high 10. Yeah. So that, yeah no, that's, that's going to get a little more difficult to, uh, to be able to do today. But at the same time, um, you know, 2176, as far as camshaft goes, I'm not going to give out grind numbers because like I said, I have a lot that aren't in the, Standard proprietary. But I would say in the in the higher two fifties to the low two sixty duration range and no more than that. Yeah. And that 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 and, and then a decent amount of lift, anywhere between five and five fifty, um, is gonna give you your optimum balance of performance and uh drivability, so to speak. You know, where where you can roll into the throttle at 2,000 RPM and the thing's not, you know, falling on its face. And, and, now, and then, of we, course, that, that would have to be with a set of heads for Fred because, you know, him and I talk on every motor I do. And even though he's he's doing a limited amount of heads these days, whatever I'm building, we, we literally talk about for probably a, a good half hour before we and, decide on which way to go with it. So now, moving into talking about heads, 
what type of heads do you prefer? Like, what type of heads do you start with? Do you start with stock heads, or do you start with built heavy duty heads, or, or do you well, super flows? What, what's your? Again, that would depend on the motor. Um, we can use a standard head, like in a bus or something. I would use a standard head just to take advantage of the cooling. Um, with anything performance, we would go with something a little heavier, like an MPGT. The head that they have now, which is similar to the 044 as far as strength, but it is a weldable, it is a weldable material. So if you needed to weld them, you can weld them. Um, and then of course, on the other end of the spectrum is like a street eliminator or comp eliminator from CV. Um, you know, and Fred has had his SHOs, which I believe is now owned by Anthony Chica. Um, he owns the molds for those, and that's what I ran on my 68. So it, it really depends on what you're going to do, but I would say generally what I start with these days would be the MPGTV head because they have the extra material, and you can sit there and kind of do whatever you want and still have almost stock cooling capabilities. Now, what do you? what's your thought on valve sizes? Um, again, a lot of people a lot of times go overkill on that mm -hmm. and and one of the best heads I think just for an overall driver motor again on a twenty one seventy six is is a set of V fives from Fred, which is only a forty by thirty five head. But between the throttle response and overall drivability, they're actually that's what's actually on, on Bob Daniels' twenty one seventy six in his oval window. Um the overall really, drivability is is awesome, and it still makes you know 140, 150 horse. So it's hard, it's hard to beat that. And if you're going to boost it, you, you could still run 40, 35, fives without too much of an issue, really. You can. I would just, I just always change. I, I don't run any of the valves that come with the heads. We we put in manly valves and actually use the LS valves with the keepers and Chevy keepers and all that. I don't run anything three groove unless it's like a stock VW motor and they just don't want to spend a ton of money. Um, not that it's that expensive to do that upgrade, but it's another couple hundred dollars. Sure. And so you run, so on this turbo, so we're still talking about your 2176. Are you running 4035 on that motor? What heads you put on that motor? Uh, the one that I'm putting in my driver? Yeah. Well, I have a couple sets, so I'm I'm debating on what, but but most likely the forty by thirty five. The only other set I would put in there that I have is a forty thirty uh, forty four thirty seven five head, but it's a a little more of a port job and and a little more work done. It's actually one of Fred's. Um, I haven't really decided yet because I have a bunch of stuff sitting there in front of me, and I just have to decide which way to go because it's kind of an experiment for me i just want to try a couple different things so I, so i may actually do two different motors um just to see the differences yeah and now we talked about displacement we talked about cams we talked about heads mm -hmm. now on port size do you think in the biggest possible port or are you talking a nice a nice smooth port a d port what what do you like the best for a street? Now we're built, talking building a nice street turbo motor. Well, Fred's Fred's fives, his V fives, or or the sixes are 
more kind of like a an oval, but with a little kick to the side. Um, and it's not so much uh, about the port as the the numbers, the percentage numbers, the intake to exhaust flow, and and a lot of people miss miss on that as well. You'll see some guys port the living crap out of the exhaust port. Well, what they just did was kill some of the velocity and um, the efficiency of the head that way. So there's actually percentages you want to be within to get the optimum performance for what you're doing. And again, which is why Fred and I generally have a pretty long discussion whenever I'm doing a motor. It's not mm-hmm. uh, It's not just buy this, bolt it on. Um, right. You know where where a lot of people get get lost in the ads and they think the you know you open the magazine oh yeah I'm gonna get that and, and then the combination just doesn't work because they didn't think it through so there's yeah. there's a little more to it than just buying whatever you see in the magazine and, and throwing it on there and hoping it works. So you're saying the reality is you could actually overport heads if you don't know what like if, if you're not set it up properly you could do more damage opening up the exhaust port too big sure and and in general the, the whole head i mean there there's an intake to exhaust ratio you know you would do differently for a race motor over a street driver or even a bus motor you know because with the bus you want torque um so there's it's it's not just one motor fits all, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, I, I, know. I, I talk to people, anybody I build a motor for, I have a pretty good discussion with them ahead of time of what their plans are for the car, what they wanted to do, and I tell them to be realistic because every I've had people come to me and say, hey, I want the motor that is in your 68, and I tell them, no, you don't. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, number one, I said that's something that, you know, you have to maintain like a helicopter. When you're at that level, that car put 468 horsepower to the wheels. So when you're at that level, your your maintenance is a lot, and it's more checking things than necessarily replacing them. I, I did tear that motor down twice a year no matter what uh, because obviously there's some fairly expensive parts in it. And when, when it goes south, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And if you can catch it ahead of time, if something does happen, it's usually a better way to do it. So yeah. um, I, I pretty much feel people out to see what they're looking for, what their driving style is, what they want it to do, and then build it accordingly. So talking now about – so we talked about heads. Our next step is we talk about our – fuel delivery now you're an injection guy Uh, i do both um depends what it is but i i I do both um i've run a couple different cars uh i would prefer that yes because it just opens up the possibilities you could do carburetors but these days with everything that's available there's really no no reason to do a carburetor anymore on a turbo motor um you know, and, and Holly has this new sniper system, which my wife actually bought me for my Buick, and, and I put one on a Vanagon, which is a throttle body injection. Uh-huh. And for $1,200, you can get a kit that's complete with a fuel pump and everything, um, 
or maybe a little more than 12 for the boosted one. I, I think the boosted one's 1250. It's a two barrel, but it'll support 650 horse. Um, aspirated and boosted, I think it's, uh, 45500 it'll support. So for 1250 bucks, you can buy a throttle body that you can blow through with a turbo, which means you can also intercool it before you do that and have fuel injection and the drivability of that versus a temperamental carburetor, which they really, realistically, they all are, especially on a draw through setup and, and with the turbos out there anymore. Not too many people are building them to be able to handle the draw through for a long time with the fuel going through there. Um, right. I mean, what, what's the big disadvantage of a draw through versus a blow through? Well, I mean, it's not so much the end horsepower. Um, other, the, the thing would be, you know, obviously, if you're going to blow through, you'll have the, the if it is a carburetor, let's say you have a blow-through carburetor, obviously it's closer to the to the cylinder head, so fuel delivery is a little easier. If you're going to do draw-through, the fuel's got to go a long way. So it can be a little bit temperamental, especially when it's cold. And then as far as idling, you have to turn the idle up a little higher to get it to pull the fuel all the way through. Um, but with this injection that's available now, if you want to keep it simple, you can go with a Holly Sniper or one of the other ones. And for the money, I mean, you know, dual Weber's these days cost what eight, nine hundred bucks for a kit. Yeah. You know, twelve fifty or or eleven fifty, you get a non-boosted setup, and, and you might not make the quite make the top end power that you're making with dual carbs. But on the other side of the coin, you have the drivability, the cold starting, the the, the mid-range torque and the smoothness of fuel injection. So it's getting harder to to buy carburetors. Um, the, the motor I'm building for the driver motor is most likely going to have a Holly Sniper blow-through um, for that reason, just to, to really build a driver motor and see, see how it works out with the Sniper. Like I said, I did one on an aspirated Vanagon that I – Built up to a 2276 from a 1.9. There's a, there's a kit for them. Um, and that, that had a, definitely an improved torque in the mid range over, over the dual cars. Now, that obviously changes. You know, you've seen a lot of people that run some of the street motors. A buddy of mine's got a street motor that, that's been built and they did it out of um, a shop in Arizona and they did the, you know, Corvette throttle body behind the Porsche style fan shroud, and then the injectors down low yep. by the intake ports. What What's the big difference that you see? Because obviously, with a throttle body setup like that, the injectors are in the actual throttle body, and you've you've still got the fuel runners that's got to go through and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what's the you you we do see? well, you do, but you can have you can have that throttle body, let, let's just say in the stock carburetor location. Now you're going to have to make the intake or at least part of it anyway. You can have it in the factory location where the stock carb would be. And in that respect, it's not really a big deal. You know, like if you had a draw-through setup, I mean, depending on how long your intake pipe is between the turbo and the, and the carburetor, and then it has to go from there down the intake and around to the you know, head, it's a little different. Um, but with this, with this setup, 
from Holly, it's it's sort of kind of you can put it in the stock carburetor location, so it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, where the other way is still definitely better, but for cost effective and what you're getting out of it, it's really hard to beat for you know eleven twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, and like I and said, comes it comes with... with everything. It comes with a fuel pump. It comes with everything, and it's self learning. And I mean, how how accurate have you found that self learning software to be? Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I have it on my Buick. I did it on the van again, and I'm I'm gonna buy one for my 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 driver turbo car. And you can make adjustments to it, and you can actually program it. You can plug it into a laptop, and you can program it just like a. Uh, Another aftermarket like Big Stuff Three or Haltech or whatever, you can change things, you know, as you see fit. Um, but for a out of the box, bolted on, started up, it's pretty hard to beat. Yeah, it seems to be. It seems to be kind of the way things are going, and and I'm, I'm almost wondering why that this wasn't that way, you know, ten years ago. Because it's not like it's new technology; they're just making it more more well, applicable to the street. I, I think the I think the self learning part wasn't around ten years ago and it made a lot of people afraid to even try it because you'd have to sit there and program it no matter what it was. This right. the self learning thing I think has brought brought more of it to light and, and at the price point, you know, I mean you spend more on a good set of IDAs or whatever than, than you will for this injection. Now Granted, you're not going to have the power that you would, but if you add a turbo into the mix, is it? You there? Yep. So, with the with that new setup that you're going to be trying out on that motor, um, obviously it makes it kind of cleaner, I guess, a little bit in the uh in the engine compartment because no need for dual carbs you just have to come up with a nice intake metal now do you use stock efi castings or just stock dual port castings is that what you'll end up using for uh, that or do you de- have to depending on how i run it um mm-hmm. i'll i'll just make them if i have to that's not really an issue for me i if, if i can't find it i'll just make it so um now now fred actually has some some end castings uh that he sells they're they're they come straight up like like a dual carb wood but it just ends up being a single i think it's two and a quarter or two and a half inch hole and then goes down to a dual port setup and uh you know depending on how you run it i mean there's a couple different ways it's not going in a beetle it's uh actually going to go in a fastback but i'm going to do an upright motor on it and then i also have a gear and and with that gear you actually don't have to keep the the throttle body or the intake as tight as you would on a bug to be able to close the deck lid. So you have, you have a little more freedom there. Um, now with a beetle, you could put it in the stock location and, and it would, it would, you would be able to shut the deck lid, but with a bigger motor, most people at least run a standoff anyway. Um, I mean, in, in theory, you could actually, you could almost actually stand it off to the side a little bit. So it's not dead center fighting for space with the, uh, with the alternator and you could and you could offset the plane yeah. to the center of the T. So yep. you have a little bit of latitude because of that throttle body injection. Yes, you do. Yep. Now fitting one of those setups to a VW motor, I mean they've got a lot of coolant temp sense and all kind of all kind of sensors. Do you just fab do you just kind of 
like take the coolant temp and make it a head temp sensor and change the parameters? I mean, is it that no. simple of a setup? No, actually, it's a little different than that. And believe it or not, there's only two sensors you need to put in the mix because everything else is built into the throttle body. You have, really? you have an O2 sensor, so you got to weld a bung in your exhaust, and you have a coolant temp sensor, which I always use oil temp. Regardless of whatever injection it was, I use the oil temperature. So, what side, what side do you take the oil temp at? I take the oil temp bottom right of the engine case, not the sump, because that's that's the that's the hottest temperature it'll ever see, because that's coming oh, really? off the parts. Well, it's coming off the parts. If you put it in the sump, it already got cooled a little bit. If you put it back up where your oil pressure sensor is, well, that's after it went out to the full flow and back and possibly through a cooler as well. So um, I take the reading down down low, and because it's injection, if you need to make adjustments, you, you could do, you know, whatever you want per point to temperature. You know what I mean? So uh, sure. that's generally where I take the reading for the gauge because it's, it's going to be your worst-case scenario. It, it's the hottest temperature that you'll see because that's right when the oil comes off all, all the parts and goes back down to the bottom of the case. And what kind of temps on the on those turbo street motors, what kind of temps are you running? Uh, I try not to take anything over 220. And, in fact, the Speedster that, that I did, um, I sourced the cooling air from the left fender well and sealed off the fan shroud with a large tube and then... Because it's a speedster, they have that tiny little vent in the center, and they were never known for cooling well. So I stuck the intercooler there, not a big one. And then I stuck the turbo in the right rear wheel well, um, ran a pipe forward and over the transmission for the air filter. And it can be whatever temperature outside in the summer, and that thing doesn't get over 220. Oh, wow. And it does, you know have, it does have an extra oil cooler besides the stock one. So... So have you done turbo setups where the turbo is not underneath the rear apron? It's in a different location, like you were just saying, over back by the transmission kind of? Is that what that would be? No, no. The, the speedster's in the right rear wheel well. The, the tube for the air cleaner's over the transmission. Um, uh -huh. I, I don't typically put the turbo over the transmission because unless you're going to cut the car, uh, there's no room for that. So typically I put it... Um, on the well, depending on whose turbo it is, but on a Beetle, obviously it would be in the engine compartment. But for for me, I think that the best thing, if anybody can do it when they're doing it, is to seal off your fan shroud and source your cooling air uh, remotely. And that to the, that's going to the back of the fan. Yes, the back side of the fan. I basically mm -hmm. I built a little a little. Uh, I don't want to call it a shroud. It's basically a, a big tube welded to the fan shroud, sealed off, and then from there I run, you know, a rubber connection so it's a little bit flexible, and then and then source the cooling air remotely, um, because you eliminate the possibility of any of the engine compartment heat getting in there and mixing with cooling air. So you do, you you're, and you've seen big differences in that and redirecting the cooling air for the fan from a different source rather than the engine compartment. You've seen a Oh, absolutely, especially on the speedsters because they're known for not having the best cooling setup with that little vent they have in the back. Um, yeah, yeah, it definitely it definitely helps. So, 
on this, so with this new injection setup, you're saying this new injection setup is really super easy. I mean, is it is it something simple enough for some of the do-it-yourselfers to do? Absolutely. It comes with instructions. Um, you have to add a return line, which at the end of the day is not a big deal. Um, they even give you fuel line. Uh, they give you the pump. They give you everything you need. Uh, when I did my Buick and... I did do the return line. I made a return line ahead of time and then found out they give you a um, bulkhead fitting and a hose to go down in the tank with the kit, which I, I didn't know. So, of course, I went and made a return line ahead of time. Um, but I did that in about six hours going from carbureted to fuel injected, had the car started and running. Now, I've done, obviously, I do this stuff, but I, I would say for your average guy that's, you know, not necessarily a mechanic, um, he could do it in a weekend and have the car running by the end of the weekend. Yeah, so do you see that that may be the way people start to go? They're going to start, I mean, I don't know who makes a four-barrel or a two-barrel manifold now for a VW, but do you see that would should be the way that people start going if they're looking for reliability? Because but a lot of the issue with the VW, you know, the bottom end's been the same thing forever. The right. constant evolution is going to be the timing and the and the or the the ignition and the fuel source. Yep. So, do you see like that that being a huge market if someone comes out with an intake manifold that takes that carburetor, bolts it, that throttle body, bolts it directly on, and saves people look. Possibly. I mean, like I said, I made the manifold for the for the van again. I, I got a half inch aluminum plate, you know, drilled drilled everything, tapped whatever, and then built the manifold from there. But um, Holly actually sells a Rochester copy, the two GC, which I believe is what the Holly bug spray was based off of. And oh, I ha- really? I haven't measured it yet, but a buddy of mine gave me a bug spray manifold just to see. Uh, because they make them for Jeeps, uh, and, and they make the large bore and small bore Holly Rochester 2GC copy. So there's a possibility that the bump spray manifold might bolt right up to that thing, where the standard two barrels, just like the Holly two barrels, standard bore pattern. Um, and the other thing with the, with the sniper is you can, choose to control or not control the timing. So if you don't want to get into the timing aspect and you just want to run your 009, you can. Uh, you don't have your, to get an MSD set up. So what's your thought on uh, on ignition control? What's your what's your weapon of choice for the street? Honestly, for your everyday, normal, you know, just a, uh, an old 009, not a new one because we know where they're made now, but... Uh, an old 009 with a Pertronics is pretty hard to beat. Now, if you need to be able to control it, then you're you're going to have to go more or something from MSD or get some kind of a crank trigger set up, which, which is out there on the market as well. Uh, if, if you want to be able to, you know, control your timing like you would in an injection system. And how... And, uh, what kind of difference does it make when you go crank fire ignition in regards to tunability? For the everyday guy, probably little to nothing, but if you're trying to get every little bit out of it that you want, um, it's going to be a little more accurate because you're not going to have that little bit of wander like a distributor does. But but again, yeah. I mean, I ran a distributor in my 68, an MSD distributor, so, 
you know, it's back to the question of what what's more important as far as, as the motor goes. Do you need to be, you know, within four tenths of a degree on your timing, or or do you need to put a maybe a better quality tank in your motor? You know what I mean. Right. So it really depends on you know what you're building and what you're using it for. You know, a lot of people will spend money on things that are completely unnecessary and aren't making it run any better. But, you know, they opened the magazine and it looked cool, so they bought it. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many different choices for ignition on the market, you know, between, yep. you know, a CompuFire setup, an MSD setup, the, yep. you know, the Petronics, the, you and know. CB has their Magnus Spark. Um, you know, which is controllable. So, I mean, there's there's a ton of options, but realistically, for most of the motors out there, you're, you're fine with a double or nine and a Vertronics and, and call it done. I mean, that's probably ninety five percent of what I build gets fast. Yeah. You know? Now, if, now it, if, if it's a turbo motor with injection, then then it's going to be the MSD or something like that that can be uh, adjusted by the computer. So on on the turbo setup that you're going to because that twenty that the motor that twenty one seventy six that you're building is that going to be that that one for your fasty is going to be a turbo motor. Yes, that that's going to be for myself. But like I said, I'm 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 doing it kind of as an experiment with the sniper and just to try a couple different things to to build a a true driver motor. You know, I mean, even my sixty eight. Yes, it was a street car. Yes, I drove it in 90-some degree heat at Maple Grove Raceway and back. Um, with actually Henry de Kuyper was out, you know, the magazine, and uh, he drove with us. And I drove it to Philly uh, to uh, partake in certain activities and back to Westchester. Um, but the reality of it is it's not a grocery getter. It's not something you want to ride in all the time for hours at a time because you'll you'll get sick of it pretty quick it's, it's a violent ride yeah i mean it's fun i mean it throws you in the seat like nothing else but it's not something that somebody's saying oh i'm going to take my car out today it, it, it's more of a pur- it was more of a purpose-built car and it was built to go fast um so i'm trying to i guess have the best of both worlds where you get some speed, but then still have the comfort and, you know, thought that you could get in it and go for a three hour ride and not be tired of driving it is my opinion. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, based on what Ann says, it doesn't, it's not something you're going to be taking to the store just for a quick. No, run. no. I mean, you could, well, but no, it, it was good for going to the store for a quick run, but you don't want to take it for like a two hour straight drive. Well, let me, let me put it this way. Comfortable. You're in it. You want to use the turbo. You want to use the power. It's a lot of fun, but it's um, it's meant to go out and have fun with. It's not the sort of thing that you know that they're having a conversation with somebody. Oh sure. Yeah, you know, like right now we're riding in a BMW. Yeah. You can hear you. You know, you can hear people talking in that car. You couldn't hear and have a conversation. Uh, you know, he hits the gas and the thing puts you back in your seat and then the turbo would start to pull up and it, it makes you giggle like you're on a roller coaster kind of, but the car's so loud and, you know, it, it's vibrating and everything's going on. you got a flat windshield right in front of you and the 
kind of ride and um, not for everybody and it'll kind of beat you up and spend too much time in there. Um, it's oh, yeah, no. for having fun. You know, we, we could take it out, we could go to Philly Street Racing, we could go, you know, do whatever, but when it's summertime and it's hot and it's sweaty and all you hear is the exhaust in the car and the other cars around, it, it's a lot. So do you guys still have that car? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's in the shed. I'm not going to say what kind of shape it's in, but yeah, she won't let me throw it away. Um, yeah. It, it, it got to the point where I needed to do some metal work, being that we're on the East Coast, and, and I tore it all the way apart, and I mean all the way, and it's still sitting there like that. Um, but the, the other half of what I was saying is with that car is the day I drove to Maple Grove, from Westchester to Maple Grove Raceway is approximately, uh, let's say, 30, 30 miles plus up at one way and it was 96 degrees and I, I had a couple people tell me and, and it's humid out here in the summer so I had a couple people tell me that I don't really drive it which wasn't true I put between two and three thousand miles on that car every year um, so I, I drove it on that day to the racetrack and back and uh, you know no issues um, it actually ran ran cooler running around locally than it did down the highway. You would think it'd be the other way around. But on the highway, that car uh, would take the oil temperature about 215, and running around locally, it'd be about 200. So maybe so, there was some, some air cavitating somewhere where it wasn't getting a good flow? Um, well, the heads weren't exactly... I mean, they were Fred's SHOs. They're, they're great heads. Um, but yeah. obviously, they don't cool like stock ones, like a comp eliminator. So, yes, I had extra oil cooler and fan and all that fun stuff but again it's something that was purpose built because you know you get hooked on that well okay I ran 13s then you want to go 12s and you want to go 11s and then you know it just keeps going so um, the thing I'm building now I, I want to you know for this car I mean I have some other things in the works as well but for this particular application I want to build a true driver you wouldn't think twice about getting in and, you know, driving wherever. You know, that that type of thing. Not, not oh, it's my bug, but I'm, I'm going to tow it because, you know, the show's four hours away. Right. You know, I want now, a driver motor. Now, what's your take on some of these engine coatings that they have for internal motors? Like, you do any kind of coatings or anything like that, or do you believe in on, them? Or? On, on the turbo motors, yes. So... As far as internal coatings, you think internal coatings are worth it? And what, what coatings are you talking about specifically? Uh, pistons, combustion chambers, valves, exhaust ports on the turbo motors. Um, other than that, I haven't really gotten more need, needed, felt I needed the coatings for the bearings and all that. I mean, you, again, you can go overkill on all of it, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, there's, Again, factory LS cars today coming out of, you know, and even, I'm not a Ford guy, but, you know, even some of the new Mustangs, you know, and, and the Charger, they're all 700 plus horsepower today, and they're not putting all those coatings on stuff. Um, right. That that comes down to more having your clearances right and, and running a decent oil and things like that. Um, 
you know, you can go nuts with the coatings, but our enemy with the Beatles is, is heat. So coating the pist- piston, combustion chamber, valves, and the exhaust ports all helps in heat out the exhaust, which for a turbo motor is great. And for an aspirated motor, too, yeah, it's going to come down on your oil temperatures. And what's the what's the brand of coating that you choose? Like, what's what type, what type of coating? What's the material? Well, not, not everybody does it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Roger Crawford used to do do one. I don't know who he used, but but it worked. Uh, Fred had his own. Uh, I don't think he does it anymore. And then there's um, I always forget the name of the place in New York um, that's popular, but I always forget their name. Um, but I, I would probably go with them, and, and like I said, I always forget their name, but, but I know uh, I know they're in New York. I'll probably remember after I hang up the phone with you. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. So, so you do like the coatings because there's always been the the talk back and forth with coatings, a and b, also like synthetic oils and stuff. You know, because some of the conversation or, or, or dialogue that I've heard in regards to, let's say, synthetic oils is that they don't hold heat. Like regular oil does. Correct. But your engine is cooled by the oil, by the heat transfer to the oil. So right. that could, exactly. You know, so what yeah. do you use for oil in your in your motors? Well, um, I've done this test on my Harley, which, of course, is an air-cooled motor. And uh-huh. Harley factory oil is a synthetic. And I switched to Valvoline Racing, which is a conventional oil. And there's Brad Penn, and there's there's some other good ones. Um, and my temperatures came down on the bike. Um, and I stayed when you went back when you went back to traditional oil, it correct, went down. Correct. My oil temperatures came down. Now I have some other things I add to the oil, but that's just, you know, my little concoction. I even have my own cam break and lube. I use with a certain concoction of stuff, but, um, the biggest thing is for, for again, the VW crowd is, is the zinc. Um, I do have another oil I use, but I pretty much bought it all from one of my suppliers. It's not sold in this country normally. Somehow he got it. I don't know where. I didn't ask, but all I know is I spent three or four thousand dollars on oil, and I have um, it's a German oil. It's called Liquamali, and, and I ha- I use that in the synthetic in my BMWs and my Volkswagen Passat. Um, uh, but they make a conventional 2050 with their own anti-friction additive, which I actually put in everything, which is similar to the zinc that Valvoline uses. And I've been running that in my air-cooled stuff with excellent results. Um, nice. But it's not normally available here. They do sell their 2050, but not with the additive already in it. Um, and I have... Well, I have a lot of it. That's all I'm going to say. But I'm not. I'm not necessarily selling it off because I want to keep it <laughs> to myself. It's your, pri- it's your private stash. Well, I have. Like I said, I think I spent three or four thousand dollars because when I found out he had it, he called me because he knew. You know, I used the Valvoline Racing. He says I got this stuff, and and I tried some of it, and, and I liked it. So then I went back and had him send me up uh, a lot, and. Uh, I have I have enough to last me for quite a while. I can say that, and and even yeah. my even in my boat I ran Valvoline twenty fifty racing, and that was uh, two five forty cubic inch big blocks 
and uh, for the same reason, for the heat transfer, because in the boat, you're you're basically it's like running uphill in a car all the time. So, right. and that uses an oil cooler through through the water uh, to cool the oil. So, I even ran it in that, and and my local guy for that that uh, did short blocks for me, he he actually will not. Um, I don't want to say he won't warranty his work because we're all in the performance industry and there's not really a warranty. But if he found finds out you ran certain synthetic oils, um, you're probably going to get a talking to. Yeah. So there's 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 two two schools of thought on that. I mean, for me, for the water cooled stuff, especially the newer stuff, I would say yeah, that's what they want. I mean. My Passat diesel has, you know, almost 200,000 on it, and, and I run the liquid mileage synthetic, and knock on wood, it's still running great. So um, yeah. I, I even put some in my Suburban, which is a big block, um, and that's actually burning less oil running the liquid molly than it used to, and big blocks are always known for burning a little bit of oil. Um, that's just what they do. But... Uh, not, not, that, not that you can see. Well, it's, it, it comes down to the piston size and the bore and all that. And it's, it, it's a thing with big blocks. They always did it, but, you know, they always ran too. So, um, and, uh, you know, but I did, I did notice slightly less oil burn switching to the liquid molly. And, and it is one of Germany's top brands. They just don't advertise like some of the companies here do that spend their money on advertising and not profit. Sure. Now, on on your cars uh, with the turbo motors, obviously you uh, you go with a taller geared transaxle, right? Yes, then an aspirated car. Sh- well, yes, depending on the application. Uh, my six my sixty eight didn't have an overdrive gear and fourth gear. I can tell you that, but that was again oh. purpose built to go down the track. So right, which maybe kind of made it a little bit more of a nightmare to drive on the highway with a close ratio uh, force. No, I could still cruise at 60, 65, somewhere around there because of a taller tire. So, you know, there's a give and take there. But but the car was geared to to run, you know, out at Doppelmoor RPM on the track. So it, it was geared for that. But I could still drive the car 60, 65 mile an hour. So, don't and, how, and how, how good are the trannies holding up that you're having built? How good are the trannies holding up to the to the turbo power? Um, well, I use Matt Steedle out of New Jersey, and, and he hasn't built me one for a turbo car yet, uh, but he will be. Um, and uh, part of the reason I use him is, is I've used him for the, some of the buses and the Vanigans, and uh, the shipping, unfortunately, to California is a nightmare anymore as far as cost. You, you can add hundreds of dollars to your bill just because of shipping. So right. it's nice to have somebody local, and he's very thorough. Um, and uh, but before Matt was around, I used Jim Kaforski out of Dare Transaxle for everything, um, and he built my training in the '68 uh, and, and all my other ones uh, before Matt came around. But uh, being Matt, I, I could drive over to Matt's and you know throw something up on his workbench if I want. But he's done uh, excellent work. And I, I have nothing else to say. And, he, and he's fairly quick. Um, you know, if you need something, he'll just get it done. And uh, and he's good. Um, yeah, it looks like looks like he does automatics and everything, huh? Yeah. He does. 
and that's that's another subject. Um, but uh, yeah, I I would uh, I would recommend him for anything and everything as far as Volkswagen related because he's he's a little bit outside the box thinking, which is what we need more of in this industry. Um, right. I, I think. Even when I had my 68, I think I got more phone calls and emails about the electronic boost controller I had in that car because nobody knew what it was. And I think the biggest problem in the VW industry is everybody gets the catalog from CB or SCAT or Geneberg or Bugpack or Empty, and they feel like if it's not in there, it doesn't exist, and that's just not the case. Right. Um, you know, we've everybody you know, by now has adapted either Chevy bearings, Chevy valves, you know, that kind of stuff to their motors. Uh, there's yeah. nothing that says you have to go by the VW catalog. And, and I mean, back in the 90s, I, I even started going that direction because I couldn't find the answers I wanted in the VW catalog. And rather than say, oh, well, that's what it is, I would always ask, well, why can't we do it a different way? Um, sure. Because you're certainly not limited, especially these days with everything, you know, machining capabilities and what have you. You're, you're really not limited anymore. It's only, I mean, somewhat by your budget or, or you know, your imagination. But, you know, there's there's no reason not to think outside the box and, and ask yourself, well, why can't we do it? Well, how can we do it this way or that way? I mean, there's there's adapters for the VW transmission for just about anything. Or, yeah. or you can have it made, and it's not horribly expensive. Um, Matt Steedle has, they have their little, him and Vinny, they have their little road race car that they drive to the races. And it's got a Honda, I think it's a 3.5 V6 van motor in it, which you can yeah. pick up low mileage at a junkyard for six, seven hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And these are low mileage JDM imports. They didn't even do the timing belt. They threw this thing on the car, modified the intake. The thing makes 270 horse, weighs 25 pounds more than a bug motor. Really? Now, of course, they had to put a radiator in, what have you, all that. And and, and if you saw the car, you, you'd understand it's, it's certainly not a showpiece, but it gets the job done. Now, they've tried different transmissions. Um but there's all kinds of possibilities out there. You can put a TDI motor in a in a Beetle. You could put a a 1.8T Volkswagen gas engine in a Beetle. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's a there's guys running a, a two liter ABA motor, which is the the eight valve, you know, the low end motor from Volkswagen from yeah. I think '99 to <coughs> 2005. And they're building those up and boosting them and running some impressive numbers. So, I mean, there's a lot of other options out there. It's just uh, for the purists, of course, they want the air-cooled motor. But there are a lot of possibilities out there. It's just a matter of looking. Yeah, speaking of air-cooled motors, do you have much experience building Type 4s? I've done quite a few. Um, not my favorite motor, uh, primarily because of the heads. The, the flow characteristics are horrible. Uh, I, I know there's somebody in Europe that makes an aftermarket set of heads, but they're, you know, not cheap. Um, and, of course, the running joke is there's always new Type 4 heads and cracked ones. Um, the bottom ends are the bottom ends are pretty bulletproof, 
Uh, yeah. but, but the problem is that when you come to the heads, they just, they don't flow. And, um, I'm pretty sure there's some people now casting some new ones. So that may alleviate some of the cracking problem, but you still have the flow problem. And, and back to the bus motor I built, that was a 1904 and he walked away from his buddies with the two liter bus motors up hills. I mean, walked away from it. Yeah. Uh, I, I've always been a fan of the 1904 just because it's like a, uh, besides the fact that that's the only motor I've ever built, um, okay. the one, the one motor I built, but I liked, what I liked about everything is that it was a 40, 35, five one that I did. I built it myself with a, right. with my buddy Dino Bacalas, a drag racer here in town. But yeah. I just liked that it was one bump up on everything, cam or on the, uh, the crankshaft, the pistons, like everything's just bumped up. Yep. A little just bit. A, just, yeah. Just a little bit, but it's uh Man, I had it. I had it running where it was. It was a nice running motor, and I, I surprised people with how quick it was with forty fours on it. Yeah, you know. Yep. So well, on the on the bus, I actually had forty forties with uh, twenty six Venturi's, believe it or not, a slightly different count ground cam and off the shelf grind, but ground slightly differently for torque. Um, and Fred's heads, they were Fred's threes, which was a round port. And you could pull trees out of the ground with that thing in a bus. And wow. that's what he wanted. So that's what he got. You no, know, it wasn't a 6,000 RPM motor, but everything below that, it would do whatever you wanted it to do. So. No, that's, uh, that's, that's impressive. And those are always, you know, there's always so many different motor combinations, which I think is what's kept the VW scene from being so... You know, like with most of your V8 stuff, it's like you get this V8, this motor set up, and you're dialed. And with the with the Volkswagen, there's so many different engine combinations, so much variety there that there's never really been like the staple go to just build this motor. You know, you talk to um, Ron Ron Fleming. Ron Fleming will tell you just build a 2386 and don't build anything else. You know, and well, there's so yeah, many different you know I combinations, but. That's a fun motor until you add a turbo to it because then what happens with that big stroke crank is that torque curve comes in and most of the guys can't control their car. Yeah. Because of that big crank and boost. Um, yeah. that, that's what ends up happening there. Other than that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't think it's actually necessary to go that far. You know, um, yeah, well, with technology now with fuel injection and, you know, especially crank fire ignition, you yeah. know, ignition control and turbocharging, you can get a lot more performance out of smaller motors to really custom tailor your power band for what you want to run the car for. You know, well, I mean, I, and not, and I not personally, the car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I personally, all my cars have type fours in them. Okay. Um, you know, I started my first motor, the, the first motor that I got, I, I mean, I am in my bull run bus. I've got the, uh, uh, 2270 Jake Raby motor that I've had in that thing since, uh, since 2001, 2002. And, uh, I mean, it's just been rock solid, reliable. And then my, the carbon cab I have has got a 2600 CC and I just like, I'm not a high RPM guy. I'm a 5,500 right. and shift it guy when you're getting on it, but okay. I love I love the torque more than anything else. Right. You know what I mean? And that bulletproof reliability. And I think that's maybe the, the bad rep that the that the Type 4's got is that, uh, yeah. you know, everybody tries to you, – you're not going to squeeze RPM out of it. it it's, no. it's a big block. You know what I mean? Right. It's 
It's yep. just like a big block, you know, you, yep. you, you can pull tree stumps and, and get that, that bottom end grunt. But I, I love the bottom end reliability on the type fours, you know, and if, you know, well, that's, the ones that's that, what they're for. I mean, they weren't really designed to be a performance motor, not that the beetle motor was, but it's a little more, right. has a little more capability to be a performance motor where the type four is just more of a, a, a grunt motor. And that's what they always were. And a lot of people try to take in a different direction and it just doesn't, it's not going to do that. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that torque is the bot is the part you feel between idle and thirty five hundred RPM, and if you punch that number up way high, the thing will feel like a V eight in the back of that car. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. But so yeah, so switching gears now a little bit in regards to the East Coast scene, how has the East Coast scene been over the past few years from your perspective in regards to drag racing and performance and all that kind of stuff? I mean, is the, the West Coast is obviously the, the epicenter where a lot of that stuff comes from, but we know that the East Coast can, can hold its own, too, in that respect. Well, I would say it's been up and down a little bit. I mean, with, you know, economy and all that. I mean, I, I've never been out of things to do, but um, Volkswagen isn't the only thing I do. So uh, that being said, I, I would say it's up and down because you're you're – working with people's toys and if they don't have money the first thing they stop working on is their toy right. you know if things are getting tight financially or whatever so you know that's the first thing they're going to stop messing with so it's been up and down a little bit um you know there, there there's a lot of talented people out here um you know doing different things uh obviously Cooker's VW, Bob Cook. I mean, you know, I, I joke with him all the time that, you know, Hobby W's would go out of business if he wasn't finishing cars. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, I have a pretty big circle of friends um, or, or acquaintances and people that I know. So, I mean, there's usually always somebody looking for something to get done. Um, I am picky about my motors and what parts I put in them, and, and everybody knows that. That's been probably well documented over the years with my attitude about it. But um, sure, um, you know, if if you don't want to build it with the parts I want to build, I, I won't build it for you because I, I I take every motor like I was building it for my car, and and again, I don't do this full time for a living. It's always been a, a secondary business. So I don't have to go out and sell myself. Um, but if I'm going to build it for you, I'm going to overbuild it so that you don't have to come back to me for any other reason that you want to make it faster. Right. And, and no. you know, every motor I build, unless, you know, if it's a stock one, that's one thing. But any performance motor I build, unless I hear a resounding no, gets the Chevy valves gets the Manton push rods, gets a solid rocker shaft kit, a full flow of sump, the whole nine yards. Because uh, otherwise I'm not doing it because, you know, most people, the ones that don't want to spend money to do it right the first time are going to be the first ones that are going to complain when you build them a budget motor because they didn't want to spend the money. Right. And, and, and most of the people I do motors for don't, don't sit there and write me a check. They'll spend... You know, two, three, six months a year collecting parts because I'll drive it into their head that, you know, there's no 
there's no replacement for, you know, doing it once over having to do it three or four times because you, you want to buy, buy the cheapest cheap stuff. It's going to cost you three times as much because the cheap parts are going to just disintegrate. It's, um, sure. You know, people are used to, you know, if you have a Honda or, you know, Volkswagen Jetta or BMW, whatever, you're going to work in every day. You know, you, you go out, you fire the car up, you go to work, you're driving on the freeway, you go to the grocery store, you know, you're keeping up with traffic, that sort of thing. That's how people typically want to drive their Volkswagen, their toys. You know, they, right. they want that same reliability and performance and convenience. And so we try to build it up to the standard that they would be able to just get in there and do that sort of thing, not have to adjust the valve every time you take it out because, you know. Well, there's, there's, there's an analogy I give to a lot of people. And the analogy is we're going to compare a 1600 to a 1776 package with Fred's head that I know makes 118 horsepower. So let's say double the stock horsepower. Okay, from a 1600 to a 1776. Now, your typical big block Chevy, let's say came with 400 horsepower, agreed? If you yeah. go by an average. Right. Now, if you were going to build an 800 horsepower motor, would you throw the budget parts in it? No. Okay. There you go. Same, same, same analogy. Take your 1600 to a 1776, which is double the factory horsepower. Why would you put you know, the cheapest parts you could find in it. it yeah. It's not worth it. And and that being said, the Germans had some excellent factory parts. I mean, look at the 388 ring and pinion and how everybody punishes the hell out of that thing. Um, right. it, holds, it holds up for quite a while, depending on the car. Um, I, I was lucky if I got 10 passes out of it on my car, and if I did, I'd change it before it broke and bust the transmission in half. But, you know, and, and on that analogy, I made... 468 to the wheels, so let's just say eight times the factory horsepower. There's not too many V8s doing that driving around on the street. Yeah. Uh, there are no. some. There are some today, but generally not. You know, so I always use that analogy for people so that they understand what they're getting into. Okay, now, now you want a 150 or 180 horsepower motor. And I tell everybody, if you want to keep it reliable, aspirated, stay under 180 horsepower. And for the most part, you're not going to have any any stupid issues. Now, a turbo obviously changes that. But for an aspirated motor, keep it under 180 horse, and it'll be more than fast enough. Um, I had a guy come to me. He wanted 180 horse at the wheel. He was insistent. I said, look, let me build the motor for you. And I'll take you for a ride in it. I'm going to dyno it. But I'm not going to tell you how much power it makes. So I built him a 2276. Um, it was injected. Dual throttle body, you know, dual carb injection. I dynoed it. It was not a crazy build. Mm -hmm. And at the wheels, with the fan belt on, full street trim, it made 136 horsepower to the wheels. So you can equate that to, you know, everybody has a different number. We'll, we'll say 150, 160 horse at the, at the, probably 160 horse at the motor. Now, he came over to pick this car up. I took him for a ride. I'm not sure if he went and got changed afterwards, but it was enough. You know, I had him up over 100 miles an hour with me driving, and, and he was he was pretty nerve nervous after we went for the ride. 
Yeah. And we got back. I said, okay, how much power do you think it makes? He's like, oh, that's at least 180 at the wheels. <laughs> I said, how about 136? They don't and, understand. And they, they, they don't, don't, they don't understand. Like, they, what if you go down to a Honda dealer and it tells you the motor has as much horsepower? Like, they have no idea the concept and how the, the difference is when you're talking about old air-cooled Volkswagen engines going in a really light car compared to something that weighs 3,000 pounds that they're driving every day built by the job. Oh yeah, I mean, a lot of people. My bus is 135 at the at the rear wheels, right? And it feels like a monster. And people don't realize that that bus was originally pushed down the road with 40 horse. That by the time it got down to the flywheel and to the yep. end of the wheel, right. you're probably pushing 32 horsepower to get that thing down the road. If you're lucky, you know, and you don't yeah, have any heater going on or any of that stuff. Well, yeah, uh, you, my the other the other thing is a lot of people get bumped up by, by numbers and not actual performance because you can take your thing to a dyno and they can make adjustments to tell you anything you want. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> and, they can manipulate the dyno to show you 300 horsepower at right. no time and at all. And then there's the people that just advertise on the internet they claim that they make a certain amount of horsepower. It's all bullshit, but, you know, you can't smell the bullshit in the magazine hey. ad. So, yeah. Yeah, they really, they just don't understand everything. Um, you kind of have to put them in a car and show it to them, let them experience it, feel it, and then they... Yeah, one, one of my, I, I would say one of my best testers would be Bob Daniels, because he's very in tune with the drivability of everything. So if I if I do something, I'll, and he'll give me an honest answer, uh, because I, I did... I did the 2176 for him, and then that ended up going into his oval, and he had a 2110 that came out of the oval that was, I can't believe it still ran. Um, so we kind of did that motor on a budget because he wasn't expecting to have to go through the whole motor and redo it. Um, but he still prefers the 2176 over the 2110. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, power is power in the right combination. I mean, you can surprise a lot of people with a 1904 that have 2200s, you know, if it's oh, built right. I, I had a friend that ran down Philly with a 1776, and that was really not that special of a motor, but I'll tell you what, he annoyed a lot of people because of how that car came out of the hole. And, and down yeah. in Philly, you're not really running a quarter mile. You're, you're running more of an eighth of a mile plus maybe. But it, it, it's a, it was a mental thing for him when we went down there, and he would run people, and he just had this little motor, but that thing came out of the hole first, second bang, and, and he was already gone, and they were still, you know, trying to leave the line. So mentally, they already lost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's, there's that aspect of it, too, because you get one of these 800 horsepower, 700 horsepower factory chargers or Camaros or Mustang or whatever you're into, you turn your traction control off and you hit that gas pedal, the only thing you're going to do is buy another set of tires. Right. You're not going to, you're not going to hook and go anywhere on the street. Um, even, 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 you know, my M5, that has over 600 horsepower. If I turn everything off on that car and trop on it, it'll roast the tires through third gear. 
Yeah, undrivable. You, you know, um, so there's there there's that aspect of it too, where where the Volkswagens have the advantage, you know, on the street with with a little better traction, you know, to, to yeah, a degree. I- you know, I've often said that uh, most people in the street race, they never really actually run a quarter mile because a quarter mile is a lot longer than you think it is. Yeah, and it is. Yeah. Usually, by the time you get midway through third gear, everybody's quit racing. You know? Well, you know, you know when it's really long, when you're sitting there at the starting line, you're looking at the other end, you're like, <laughs> I can make it there in nine seconds, and then yeah, it ends up being a really long ride. That's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be the that's be the longest nine seconds of your life. That's for yep. sure. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, it's not when you're trying to do it. And again, my car ran 10 O's, and its best mile an hour was just under 143, but it also weighed 2,150 pounds. It was, it had a CB disc brake kit. It had an, it had a super diff, no posi, no limited slip, none of that, no spool. So that made for an interesting ride. Uh, the mile an hour definitely supported a nine second quarter, but being that I didn't have all the bells and whistles and maybe a little less weight in the car, including myself, um, you know, it, it didn't run the nine-second time, but... It went back up. It took forever getting off the line. But, but you know, at the same time, um, you know, a lot of people, you, you kind of think it's going to be easy until you have to sit there and do it. And then and it's like, yeah, you, I can do that. And then, and then you find out it's a lot longer than you think it is. Yeah. Who, uh, so is there anybody out there running big street motors out there, like big fast street cars out on the East Coast that we might know of out there that's, uh, doing some um, big things? Uh, well, I mean, cookers, they have, you know, um, Bob's brother Gene has a turbo car that he, he's running the nines. Uh, Jerry Lewis has a race car now, but he, he ran, I, Think into the nines with his street car. Um, yeah. Troy Sellers, he's in Tennessee. Uh, he actually owns In Range. He does a lot of uh, uh, guns and stuff. If, if you're into that, um, nice. he's he's got all kinds of stuff. It's like a candy store on Facebook. But uh, yeah, he he's got a nine second car. So I mean, they're they're definitely out there. But but. You know, the biggest problem today, I think, for, for the VW industry is when you build that 10 or 9 second car, is the cost of it. Um, right. It hasn't gotten cheaper. I mean, look at a set of, you know, SEMA Molly Pistons today. You're $400 plus, you know, for, for the standard Pistons. I mean, 20 years ago, they were what? 150 140 bucks. Um, right. Now, obviously, you're not running them with a turbo car, but... The cost of everything to do this kind of stuff for that motor is not cheap. Um, to build a motor like my old motor today with fuel injection, you're, you're talking probably twenty twenty five grand, and that's before labor. Yeah, um, that that's a lot of investment, you know, for something that needs. A fairly decent amount of maintenance to to stay alive, and, and I'm not saying you have to look at it every five minutes, but but there are certain steps you need to take and things you need to do to ensure that you know it's not going to blow up on you. Um, and for me, it was tearing it down twice a year because to me, rings, bearings, valve job cost a whole lot less than if I lunched the motor. <clears throat> yeah, uh, for, you, for any and- reason. 
And those motors, those big Chevy springs and stuff on there, I mean, those is 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 the aluminum so soft that over time it just starts it, it'll start wearing out the valves? Well, the the valve seats. Well, no, because you you obviously run different valve seats. I mean, it used to be copper beryllium, but most people won't touch that anymore because it's poisonous when you machine it. So they go to brass um, <clears throat> or some other combination. It, it does wear out, but again, if you're building that kind of car, you're not building it to drive it, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles before you're going to tear it down and check it. I mean, I yeah. would go I would go through an, a set of heads every two years, as in after two years, it's throw them away or throw some salt on them and eat them like a pretzel because that's what they're good for. Um, yeah. You know, the crankshaft from DeMello which is what I've always run, um, is one of the few things that probably held up to the test of time and also my Crower rods. Um, but, you know, that's an $800 set of rods. That's over $1,000 in a crankshaft. Uh, the heads are always the most expensive. They're, they're generally a couple thousand dollars, three to four for something significant um, that's going to hold up. So at the end of the day, between the drivetrain and the motor, I mean, you can have a substantial investment in your in your engine so i think that's the biggest challenge for everybody in the vw industry because you know i had an 06 gto i brought brand new um it was thirty thousand dollars and with the right tires it would run a 1290 and a quarter and that was that was a stock car yeah completely civilized and and total driver but i think i think with the vw's you know, Go I think ahead. with Volkswagens, it's more people that are are wanting to just drive something unique and something different. Right. And right. and even if it's a twelve second Volkswagen, yep. that's still real fast for the street, Absolutely. especially against any civilian car that's not a seven eight hundred horsepower, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, street car. But I mean, I you know, I, I still think that there's a lot of a lot of people getting into it, you know, and, and it seems now to me that I'm looking, that, that I'm seeing what's out there in the scene. There seems to be a lot more guys building engines now, you know, than uh, than I've noticed in the past. It just seems like there's new shops all the time that are now build motors, and some of them good, some of them maybe not so much. But uh, right, um, there's definitely. It seems like there's no shortage, and the people that I've asked on the other no. end of the scene that are that are out there saying that the, the, the scene just keeps growing, you know? It, it, it does. Um, but I, I've always stuck to the streetcar scene because I'm, I'm about, I, I want to make it fast, but I also want them to have fun with it and not have it be a second job for taking care of their car. And it's probably why I'm picky about the parts and I'm picky about my combinations. Um, and I'll test anything on myself first before I'll put it in somebody's motor. So there's nothing right. I've ever built for somebody that I haven't tried myself first. And if I don't like it, I won't put it in somebody's motor, period. And that's that's just it. But I'm not going to use anybody as a guinea pig for trying different things. Um, again, it's not my full-time business. Uh, I don't have to sell it. If they want me to build it, I got no problem with it. Um, but I, I am picky about my parts and I want to build it for them to enjoy it and, and not to have to come back to me unless they want to go faster and, and not really for any other reason. Um, so that's just, that's just how I've always looked at it. Uh, 
because I know how I'd want it done if, if I was the one on the other end. And, um, yeah. you know, like I said, I've, I've tested, you name it, I've probably tested it. If I haven't broken, I've tried to break it to, to see what holds up out there as far as the parts sure. go. Um, you know, so well, I, I think that's important. No, for sure. Well, Kurt, man, I, we've got, a, we've got a ton of knowledge out of you and a ton of, uh, insight. Any of those people out there, since you're on the podcast, that you'd like to give some shout outs to some of those people that are helping you out in the scene and keeping the East coast scene out there going strong? Um, well, I, I would say Matt Steedle. I would say, uh, Bob Cook for keeping Hoppy W's alive. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, uh, Jacket bug stuff still out there when I need some stupid thing that I, that I can't necessarily find. He usually has it. He's out in Pittsburgh, PA. Um, uh, but as far as everything else, I would say most of my stuff comes from the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, Fred Simpson and, and uh, you know, Webcam and uh, Tom DeMello, he's actually sold his business, but... Uh, the, the new owners are not necessarily going to be doing crankshafts, um, but that's still kind of an up-in-the-air thing. And uh, yeah. But as far as the East Coast, I mean, uh, I guess Willie from East Coast Imports, who shut his business down a couple of years ago, he's in Florida now, but uh, he, uh, he was another one where I needed certain specific, more factory parts. He was always the guy that found them because his, his father started the business the import business, parts business, and uh, he still dabbles in it a little bit. But, um, yeah, there's not, I guess there's not as many people out here as there are on the West Coast because it kind of kind of sort of started there. Yeah. You know, parts-wise, parts-wise, anyway. Sure. Uh, anybody wants to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Well, either email, which is short for the business, which is vinperf1 at gmail, or, uh, what's that? Or Facebook. I mean, I'm not hard to find. Um, so they, I mean, they can locate you on Facebook? Yeah, they can look me up on Facebook. Um, just with my name or uh, the phone. They can call the phone. It's usually an answering machine, but it's uh, 302-653-4269. Um, usually my wife screens the calls first. So anybody that calls, be ready for that. Um, yeah. But... Uh, that's busy with Bill's motors to show people, you know. They, no, no, absolutely. We, we get people who, you know, everybody wants what we have in our 68, and that's just, you know, not a good conscience. Oh, no, absolutely. Anybody, I get it. You know what I mean? It, it, it's a lot, you know, but you get people who, they think they want this, that, or the other thing. You know, you've got to talk to them. you got to bring them down to reality because, you know, at the end of the day, they want to have for sure a lot of moving parts that's for yeah. sure yeah well we appreciate you guys going and you too and thanks for your uh, all your input on everything and uh i appreciate you guys coming on the podcast and uh 
we'll for sure make it a point to follow up with you uh, once you get going on that fastback and, and keep tabs on, on what's going on over there. And uh, um, anything you guys wanted to leave us with before we wrap it up? No, I think we've pretty much covered it. Uh, I'm just glad I was able to get you on the podcast and, and pick your brand about a bunch of stuff. And uh, we'll definitely get this out. You're lucky because it's one of the rare times I'm not doing anything because I'm, I'm driving to New England right now, so I literally have nothing else to do. So I can't build a motor while I'm driving. So I love it. I love, I'm glad that we, we finally get to sit down and get you on the podcast and get some more East Coast representation out there for the VW scene. And hopefully if I come back East, man, I'll, 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 uh, I'll look you up and we'll grab a bite to eat or something and just uh, chew uh, well, the fat about VWs. If you know anything about anybody else that's come out here, it's not a bite to eat. It's a tour. A tour? Is that they call it? it? It's, it's usually about two, two days. I, I have a I have a Philly uh, tour that I take. Everybody that comes out here, we go to a bunch of different restaurants. And I, you're probably going to go home about 10 pounds heavier, but you'll be happy. Well, that's it, man. Well, that's awesome. Hey, I definitely appreciate it. Kurt and Ann, I appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. And, uh, We'll uh, we'll get back at you again, all right? Okay. Thanks. Hey, thanks, guys. If you guys enjoyed that show, make sure you support the podcast by going to letstalkdubs.com, going to the store, picking up some merch, supporting the podcast. Some shout-outs for this week. Uh, first shout-out is from Patina Bus. He says, great listening. He stumbled across a podcast through an Instagram uh, link, and he's been catching up on older episodes over the past couple weeks. Great variety of interviews and some motivation as I work on my 57 Oval project and fine-tune my 70 Patina Bus. Nice to virtually connect with others who have the same addiction. Uh, the next one says, and I believe this guy, he says, best auto podcast on the planet. And I think he's telling the truth. That's uh, history, backstories, how it happened, and VW stories from the people that lived it. Ten Foot Doug. So Ten Foot Doug's a classy dude. Our next review is just listen to this episode about Type 4 versus Type 1, and it's great. I'd seen this podcast on Facebook with when that new metal bus made a splash, and I put it on my list. Finally listened to that episode, and it was good. Then I listened to Bill and George Talk Engines. And if you have been in the air cool VW scene, this will make you feel at home. Great podcast, and I'm going to make time for it. So that's Busboy252. So remember, guys, give us a review. Five stars. You get a shout-out on the podcast. So good looking out, guys. Now go get in the garage, turn some wrenches, and get that VW on the road, man. Until next week, later. Station wagon to have a